What I love about what I do is I, I think of it in terms of the process. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Cusp Show, the Columbia University Sports Management Podcast. This is Scott Rosner, along with my co-host L.J. Holmgren, making her long, long-awaited return to the airways. We're here live at Radio Row at the Mandalay Bay Convention Center in Las Vegas. Our guest for this episode, a return guest, which means you qualify for a free set of steak knives. Do I? Is Greg Cosell from NFL Films. Long, t- You may recognize him from NFL Matchup Show, which has been going on how many years now, Greg? Well, I started it in 1984, believe it or not. Um, and I, I've been on the show as, I guess, as they might say, a on-air personality. I don't know what they Talent. would call me. Talent. There you go. We use that term very loosely, by the way. <laughs> so I think this was my sixth, seventh year. This was my seventh year as a talent as on talent. the show, yes. Well, and I'll tell you an amazing part about that show. I have learned so much about the sport of football from watching that show, I would probably say since the mid-80s. I was, I was, yeah, it was 1984 young, we started yeah, it. Since young team, you know, and uh, on at the right time, you know, and in in fit in. And I was like, wow, this is really amazing. And I, so thank you for teaching me so much over the years um, and making me sound smart. Well, you know, football to me, I grew up in Queens in New York and my high school did not have a football team so I did not play football. I played basketball and baseball. But when I started watching football and we got the coaching tape, you know, the All-22 as some might know it as, I found it so fascinating because it's really 22 moving Parts, and I'm not, not to make people sound like parts, but just you know, 22 moving parts in confined space. So you have to start thinking about spacing, balance, all these things that you know you don't necessarily think about if you're just watching a game on Sunday at, at home. And you know that's the way my mind worked. And you know, coaches think about it that way because any time there's confined space, you have to figure out how to navigate that space. You know, so and and people probably don't think football that way. Let's say the way they might think basketball that way, because they can clearly see a court that looks smaller, or or hockey where you can clearly see the ice. It looks smaller. It looks like more confined space. And you can also see all of the players on the field right. at the same time. The, the right. traditional broadcast, you don't see that. No, that's no. why when we talk about all twenty-two, Two, right. I mean, it's a, you actually do get to see all 22 right. players. So we got the coaching tape, I think it was 1992, and, I mean, that was the Rosetta Stone. That, that changed the world. And that was really kind of very cool for me because not having played it, to me it became an academic and intellectual experience trying to learn the game through the coaching tape. And you're always learning. I mean, to this day, I feel like there's so, always so much more to learn. So... Mike Tannenbaum teaches a course for us, co-teaches a course with Kevin Abrams from the, from the Football Giants on the business of the NFL and the inner workings of the league that we added to our repertoire of classes uh, three years ago. And it is, and so I have the pleasure uh, of being included on the 33rd Team Calls, which is Mike's uh, media company that, right. that, he, that he runs. And 
Greg is on the call every week, one of the things that I really, really admire is your endless thirst for knowledge. And so you're on there and, and on early, and we were just joking around before uh, before the podcast started about you know Greg's work as the warm-up act for everyone before we come on as we're sitting on there. Um, but the, you ask so many insightful questions on that call, and it's you've been doing this for a long time. I have. It's amazing that that thirst for knowledge is still there, and the game consistently evolves, yeah. and there's always something more to learn. And there is, and because I watch the coaching tape, and that's what I do basically all year round. I do the NFL. I also do a ton of draft work. I probably get through 200 to 250 players who will be in each year's draft. And it's a nice change for me because with the NFL, I'm much more focused on schemes and tactics as opposed to individual players. I mean, obviously I'm aware of certain individual players, but I mean, I'm not studying the left guard, you know. So, and then when I switch to college, even though you have to be aware of schemes and tactics, you have to understand how a player is deployed I'm not. St- I'm studying the player more than the specific schemes and tactics. It's just. It's sort of a little bit of a, of a switch. Um, so I've, it rejuvenates me a little bit, and it's really fun. But uh, but yeah, no. It, when you watch the tape, you just see things, and I, there's just questions that I immediately have. I wish you know I had the bat phone line right to the coaches. Like oh. I just saw this. I'd, I'd love to know how that's coached, or what did they tell this this particular player to do, you know? And and there's certain things you just don't know, and you have to accept that you just don't know. So I'm one of those people that if I don't know, I don't try to pretend like I know and say that oh yeah that's what happened because there's just there's some things you just don't know. Right, and that's that Amherst College liberal ah. arts education coming through. Yeah, people are always amazed when they find out I majored in American history and political science, given what I do now. It's kind of amazing. You know, I actually have my intern this year, and a really super smart kid. He played quarterback at Harvard, and he majored in American government and American history. So, And it just made me think back to the fact that I don't have any idea how I did this back in the day. But I remember one class I took. You only took four classes because of the workload. Yeah, I don't know what it's like at Columbia, but we took four classes each semester. And I remember I had one history class, and I remember the teacher, Bill Taubman, and we had to turn in a five- to seven-page paper every Friday. Now, you couldn't start the paper until you did the reading, so it wasn't as if you could start on Monday. You know, normally you'd really start maybe the earliest Wednesday night, you know, and you had to do the reading. And obviously I had three other classes. Of course. And they were all kind of like that, not that I had to turn in a five- to seven-page paper every week, you know, but... I look back and I think, how did I do that? I have no idea. Well, and in fairness, Greg, you still work 75 hours a week doing your job now. Well, so I, I, I think there's a work ethic there that you're... That I, you're I remember basketball season, Scott. You know, this is Amber, so it's not like the basketball players had separate, you know, accommodations. We did not. So we would finish practice maybe a quarter to seven, ten to seven. And the dining hall was only open till 7 o'clock. And you'd have to fly up to the dining hall. And, you know, you're not super hungry after practice, but you had to eat. And I just then I'd go straight to the library because I had my spot where I could keep my books and all that so I didn't have to go back to my dorm and get my books. You know, they were there. And I'd work every night till like, 11.30 midnight. And that's you just had to do that or you couldn't get the work done. No, just, it was as simple as that. There was no way. 
So you've talked a lot about how you're learning, continuously learning, and how much you invest in that process. Tell me a little bit more about how you teach that to others. What oh. goes into it? Well, LJ, here's the way I always thought about it. And, you know, we've had for years um, something called Broadcast Boot Camp. Um, and it, it's where present players and former players would uh, come. It was at NFL Films for years, and it was at Bowling Green State University. Now it's been in L.A., and I haven't been out to the last couple just because it's, it's changed a little bit. But So, you know, when I started getting the opportunity to do radio and some TV, I sort of had to think to myself, okay, I'm really learning this game now, but how am I going to talk about it? Because I don't want to be cliched, you know, and, and football, I've always felt once I started learning the game that it wasn't complicated. I love when people say to me it's complicated. I always viewed it as detailed, not complicated. And there's a difference. Those are two different things. So I would think to myself, all right, how do you get across to people the detail without going too far into the weeds that they're not going to get it? And I really used to think about that all the time. And not that I'd stand in front of the mirror practicing, but I'd think about it a lot. And ultimately... What, what you have to do, and I would talk to the, the players about this when I was an instructor in the boot camp, and this is the way I kind of approach what I do, LJ, is how do you take detailed concepts, present them simply and concise, or not simply, that's not the right word, clearly and concisely in as few words as possible? Because the longer you talk, the more people tend to tune you out. So, you know, that's something that I've in, in many ways prided myself on, and I've had people that I've worked with for years, you know, doing radio, whatever, saying, you know, you have a way of doing that that no one else has. And, you know, maybe I do, you know, I'll, I'll let other people judge that. But the point is, is I'm very conscious of that. And I think of it that way, that how do you take this material and present it clearly and concisely? In many ways, I think that's what teachers probably and coaches have to do. You, you know, you have to take the material because don't forget football and maybe people don't think about football this way, but football is like any business. You're going to have players who are really smart. You're going to have players who are average intelligence. And then you're going to have players who it takes longer for them to get it. But everybody has to get it. So how do you get that across? You and know, the learning styles are different right. for all the athletes. Right. Sure. They're just people. Yeah. They're, you know, so I've never really thought of it. It's really an exercise in storytelling. And to some degree it is, yes. Right? So... And LJ has her master's in applied analytics and in sports management. Part of applied analytics is storytelling with data. You watch a lot of film. You're obviously incredibly well-versed on all the qualitative aspects. Have you incorporated statistical analysis at all into to complement what you're doing and to, what you're seeing with your eyes? Statistical analysis is a relative term. There's a, a lot of. Have you looked at PFF data? Do you look at Sports Info Solution data? I mean, how, how do you use that to, if at all? I don't use it a ton. Um, there's only so many hours in the day, and which doesn't, by the way, I'm not suggesting that that's good that I don't. I'm just saying, you know, there's only so much time I could do. And I tend to be very much more process-oriented than results-oriented. And data is results-based. I'm not saying it has no value. I don't want people to think that's what I'm saying. It does have value. But 
given what I do studying tape, I tend to think more about the process of how all that is put together by coaches. And, and for me, it's the process. So, yes, do I look at data? I do. But not, not in any truly significant way, you know, just because, like I said, I, it's, there's not enough time in the day. And I love the process of watching tape. So, and I've had this conversation. There's a big, you probably know this, there's a big analytics, football analytics department at Penn. And I've been on the radio with those guys a couple times over the years. Yeah. Pro- Former colleagues. Yeah, I was going to say you probably know them. Oh, very well. Yeah, and, you know, I've, I've said to them, you know, we've had this conversation I, when, I, when I would do shows with them. And I, I, I would say, you know, analytics, what you guys do, and there's a definite place for it, but it, it's results-based. What I love about what I do is I, I think of it in terms of the process. And that's just, maybe that's the way I think. Maybe it's just, you know, and that's why you have different people and organizations who approach things differently. You want that. You want different points of view. So one of the things that we do during our orientation each week, and we have students who come from all over the world. Right, right. Many of them are unfamiliar with American football. Right. They know football, but what we call soccer. Sure. Right. So... One of the things we that we'll do with them is take them if the Giants or Jets are home, right, to a preseason game, right, right, uh, and it's the first football game they've ever seen. It's so interesting to try to explain to someone who's never seen a football game before what is going on, and to do it in the same way that you're talking talk about it concisely because there's a next play coming up to talk about it in a way that doesn't overdo it because you can get into the weeds on everything. So how do you keep it keep it simple? It is That's it, a hard thing to do in real time. Like you'd almost have to watch it where you can stop it, talk, let them ask questions. It's a hard thing to do in real time because there's no foundation. So it's the things that we think about and talk about that we just take for granted. Oh, it's first down. I mean, if you've never watched football, you don't even understand the concept of three downs. You know, and, and you know, that's stuff we just don't even think about. So, you know, you have to really start from scratch, and it's hard to do that in real time. It is, and, you know, we think about it, too, and LJ has young kids, um, and, you know, when my kids were, were watching and learning, it was really like, how do, you, how do you do this? We did it primarily in front of the television, um, but how do you do this... You know, in a way that you're not going to overwhelm them, but it's going to be super interesting, right? Uh, to them, so but, they're going to want more. But see, the great thing about football is it can be enjoyed on so many different levels. You don't have to understand the game in any meaningful detail to enjoy watching a football game. What do you love most about the game? Well, I love the tactical element of the game. I mean, to me, that's that is what I really enjoy. But then again, you know. I think I've always been like that, you know, going back to when I grew up and, you know, with school and, you know, I, I enjoy, I enjoy learning. I enjoy, you know, it's funny because I, I go to the bookstore, Barnes and Noble, almost every weekend. It's a good plug, Greg. Are you trying to get a discount? I already have that, believe <laughs> I, know, I know the manager. Um, and, you know, when I walk into Barnes and Noble every week, I'm like, oh man, there's a thousand books there's a thousand books here that I'll never read, and that bothers me. Because just there's so much that I, I want to read and learn, and you just, you know, you just can't. It's not humanly possible. So that's what I enjoy 
it's a roundabout way of answering your question that I enjoy the process, the thought processes of coaches and how it then shows up on film. Like when I see a concept, let's say in the pass game, I think, oh, I really like how they put those routes together. That's a really good way to attack because you know what? That gives answers to the quarterback for both man and zone coverage. You know, that's the way my mind works. And that's what I enjoy about it. But I also enjoy just, you know, obviously I, I get to go to the Super Bowl. That's we're here, we're, you know, Radio Row. I'm not doing that watching the game this Sunday. I'm not, you know, I'm just enjoying the atmosphere, the environment, the game. The you spectacle. Know. Yeah, yeah. So you talked about the process that you enjoy of learning right. and how much information you consume. I asked you about how you teach. And as Scott mentioned, I get to watch adults learn the sport of football for the first time, many of our international students, some domestic. And I also get to watch my children learn football. How do you see that the audience has changed over time? Considering I have two different entry points here, how do you see uh, the audience changing or evolving? Uh, you know what? I really haven't given that a lot of thought, LJ. Just Sorry. because. No, that's okay. Just because I do what I do, and you know, fortunately, there's a, a strong niche for that. Like our ratings, believe it or not, even in this era where you know people don't necessarily, younger people certainly don't have cable the way they did years ago. You know, our ratings have gone up the last two years, and we're and we're not on on great times, which we don't control. Um, so, you know, I don't I don't know if I have a brilliant answer to that. Um, you know, I think that, you know, we live in a world now, and I, it's funny, I had this conversation with someone a couple of weeks ago, I forget who it was now, about the fact that not a lot of people read books. Um, everything is, is, you know, five, ten seconds, it seems. I mean, you know, it's a different world. And I'm not making a judgment about better world, worse world. It's just different for the way younger people, you would know this better than I, you know, because of, you have students. But I imagine that kids learn differently today than when I went to college. I mean, I was in college in the mid-'70s. And, you know, I, I, I'm sure that kids learn differently today. Without question. I mean, there's, there's no... You don't stand in front of the classroom and lecture anymore. It's, no. It's, it is... I mean, you do a little bit of it, but it's, it's, it's not... That's not what dominates I mean, I know time. that there's a lot of coaches, and we, we talked about that a couple years... Last year, maybe, on the 33rd team, I forget who was speaking about it, that with players, everything now has to be visual. They don't learn just by hearing words. They have to see it. Because that's how they grow up now. You know, whether it's video games, whether it's, you know, social media... That's how they grow up. They don't grow up. You know, when I was in college, you know, there were a couple of professors, you know, it's like, oh, we got to get into this professor's class, and it'd be a lecture class, and for 45 minutes straight, you know, you'd hear this, this professor who, you know, was incredibly well-known in his field and written, you know, 100 books, and, you know, because you have to be published, you know, all that stuff. Um, and, you know, you couldn't wait to get into this guy's class. I'm not sure that these 45-minute lectures, I don't think that probably happens a whole lot now, because kids don't respond to that particularly well. No, I think that's right. I think you're talking about Brian Polian when he spoke. Brian to, Polian, right. Uh, yes. Bill Sun, who, yes. who's, who's a yes. coach and at John Carroll University. Uh, and he, now, he spoke right? about and how kids... Teaching uh, Gen Z, and teaching Gen Z. Right, was, and it, how kids really, learn. really, really good book for any of our listeners. Yeah. Uh, check that out, Brian, Brian Polian's book. Um, you can find it on Amazon everywhere else. And it was he did a really nice job. Really, he actually yeah. presented to our faculty right. on teaching Gen Z. Read to reach them too? No, exactly. And 
you know, so it's 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 a different world, and that's why I haven't thought about how kids. Did, I mean, other than very generic, what I just spoke about that there's they take in information totally differently. But I don't, you know, I'm not necessarily conscious of of the the evolution of how you do that. You well, know? so it's going to be interesting. You, I, I think you're in for an interesting experiment. You have a young grandchild, right? I do. Who I think you probably hope will be among many things, an NFL fan or a football fan. Well, I'm sure what right? will happen as he gets older is I'll take him to a baseball game or a, a basketball game or, you know, whatever yeah, do it is. what grandfathers and right. grandchildren do. Do, exactly. Right. So, I'm curious to now, see... Now, my son-in-law is a big, big sports fan. Okay. So, because I actually took him, and he's indebted to me for life, I took him to the Eagles' uh, Super Bowl win over Minnesota. So, he's indebted to me for life. Yeah. No, so, uh, But he's a huge sports fan. So, I'm sure as... He grows up, you know, even before I'm the one taking him to some events that my son-in-law is going to indoctrinate him the proper way. But you can teach him football, unlike your son-in-law. Yeah, but when he's five, I'm not, we're not going to be going <laughs> over, you know, cover four and cover six. You don't and think go- so in quarters? No, no, I don't else? think we're going to so? be doing that, no. So let's, let's pivot. Uh, we are at the Super Bowl. Are we? I, they're telling me. There's yeah. some kind of football yeah, game yeah, on Yeah, Sunday. yeah, yeah. Um, let's talk a little bit about the game. Uh, and what you're seeing is some of the keys for our listeners who are really focused on the football side of it. Well, for do you want me to, Let's preface that by saying, do you want me to go into the weeds or keep it a little more... Dive right in. Because, um, you know, football, offensive and defensive football normally starts with personnel. You know, what personnel are you going to put out on the field? Um, and then you work off that because you don't necessarily run the same plays out of different personnel. You, you do, but not, it's not exactly the same. So you're dealing with a little bit of an anomaly here with these two teams that are somewhat antithetical to the way the league has evolved because the way the league has evolved offensively is there's most teams, a higher percentage of teams play with three wide receivers. Okay, you're dealing with two offenses in this Super Bowl that don't do that as their as their higher percentage, mm-hmm. and a lot of two back offenses. Right? Well, the 49ers play a lot out of what we call 21 personnel, meaning there's two backs. The first number's backs, the second number's tight ends, and then that tells you the number of receivers. So 21 personnel would mean two backs, one tight end, and therefore three wide receivers. Um, the, the, the Niners play 50 percent, you know. Probably over 40% of that, but then they also play with what we call 12 personnel. So, again, that would be one back, two tight ends. So, they do that. The Chiefs have evolved over the last couple of years to play with a lot of multiple tight end personnel. In the AFC Championship game, almost 60% of their offensive snaps had either two or three tight ends. Now, how much of that do you think is a function of the personnel who they have and adapting to the players who they have on their roster and playing to putting your best players on the field versus something else that they see that they're trying to do. Scott, there'll be multiple reasons and we don't know the exact ones, but it could be a function of their personnel. Then it becomes what comes after personnel on offense formation. That's the next thing. So, then it becomes a function of how multiple and diverse you believe you can be out of base personnel. 
which is one reason, and I'm, I'm going off on somewhat of a tangent here, but it's this is the way my mind works because there's so many things in football that tie together. Uh, then it comes down, that's one reason we see more of an infusion of tight ends who are great receivers who can split out of the formation. You know, 20 years ago, tight ends lined up right next to the offensive tackle. You know, and then, yeah, obviously, do you do that at times? Of course you do. But, you know, when, when you're the Chiefs and you have Travis Kelsey, you can line up Travis Kelsey basically as a wide receiver, and he can fulfill that, that function. And then you can play with one or two other tight ends. And they actually have another tight end who can do that too in Noah Gray. Obviously not as good as Kelsey, but he can do that. Um, George Kittle can line up anywhere. Right. You know, so now as we see an infusion, because this is what the college game is giving the NFL, you know, the NFL and coaches they expand their thought processes. You know, that's what I love about the game is the constant expansion of thought processes and everything becomes cyclical. You see something that works and you know that, hey, the next year the defensive coaches will spend all offseason studying it and they'll have a response to it. You know. One last football question, specifically right. the Super Bowl. It, if, to me as a, and I would more of a novice fan, I watch a lot of football, but I certainly don't consider myself an expert. And when you watch the people who do, you really start to not consider yourself an expert, right? You realize how little well, you know. Well, it's funny you say that because, you know, being on Twitter, which I have to be, and I see people make these comments and, you know, and, and I'm thinking to myself, you know, you really have no idea. I mean, I've been fortunate in my career that I've been able to sit in in meetings and, you know, training camps and, you know, they, it, unless you're in the building in these meetings, you have no idea about a game plan or a play call or the reason why or the thought process that goes into it. This stuff's not done on a whim. No. You know, coaches work 16, 17 hours a day. People can say, hey, that's bad, but that's the reality of life. And this is what they do. And is it going to work all the time? Of course not. There's coaches on the other side, too. And there's players. And there's moving parts. So things don't always work. But because they don't work... Doesn't mean that the process or the design was poor. Yeah, no, for for sure. And so it's fascinating. So I look at it as so I'll ask this in a as a naive question. Just from the, from naked observation, it seems that the way that the Chiefs play and that the way that the, on offense and the way that the 49ers play on offense involves a very different use of space, where a lot of what the 49ers seem to do seems to be really more constrained, and what the Chiefs' time to do is a little more spread out. A little bit. Is, is that is that way that, off? That's relatively fair, yes, because the, the 49ers, um, number one, I think that they're among the league leaders. They may be number one in the league in terms of, of what we call reduced splits, where their wide receivers are tighter to the formation. And the foundation of their pass game is between the numbers, between the hashes. That's the foundation. Those are really hard throws. People don't realize how difficult those throws are. Um, so, yes, they do a lot of that. That's foundational to what they do. The Chiefs, every team does. Yeah, I mean, there's not a thousand things to do. Right. So every team does a little of everything, but the Niners do that at a higher percentage than, than most. The Chiefs are not at that high percentage. So your general point is, is right on the money. So once in a while, I figured out. You know, you're throwing up darts out there. Right, 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 right. Bullseye, right. So we're mindful of your time. We know you've got a, a lot of things to do and places to see. Um, prediction on the game? 
You know, I'm not a good predictor, but I had to Neither predict... Neither am I, but it's okay. Well, I'm not going to predict for this reason. I had to predict in the matchup show, and it doesn't air till uh, the weekend. So we're going we're gonna to tease the matchup Absolutely. show. Absolutely, and where can we find, and what time can we find the matchup yeah, show? I find it, the time, they is get changed a lot, it so does. the best way for people, let's say, who still maybe have cable and a remote is to press that blue button and then, you know, say NFL matchup, and then you'll find it. But, uh, but I, yeah, I, I have to tease that. Absolutely. Well, so. we appreciate that. That wouldn't be good TV without. No, no, no. You know how that works. Absolutely. Yeah. So thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. No, this was great. I love, you know, it's so funny. I mean, I was telling LJ, and, you know, and I don't know if she remembered from last year, but I love to read once the season ends. You know, and, I, and I'm past the point where I read, you know, what I, what, like, major, like, I'm not, I'm past the point where I'm going to read Shakespeare. You know, I'm not doing that anymore. <laughs> you know, I'm not going to be reading Charles Dickens or Russian literature. But I just love to read. I, you know, I, I love to read novels. And, you know, so it's funny because during the football season, I don't have time, but I so look forward to, like, getting into novels. And I've already read two, you know, now that, and I'm in my, I'm in my reading mode. Love it. Yeah. Well, We'll have to have you back to hear more about your, your reading choices this offseason. But in the meantime, Greg Cosell, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. Always learn more. Always a fun conversation. You've been listening to The Cusp Show, the Columbia University Sports Management Podcast. For my co-host, LJ Holmgren, this is Scott Rosner. We'll see you next time.